Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Uh, the last book I wrote was heavy. All right. Hey, Gary. This is Evie. Uh, my name is Randy Rebine. Uh, but my name is Jared Krizoska. I don't think I'm a person that curses a lot. Heart just goes out to everybody. I'm excited. Awesome. Hi. Seeing how she's doing today. Um, can you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Sonia Cherry Paul. I'm so happy to be here and to be in conversation with you, Gary. You forgot the doc. Where's the doc? You can say doctor. Like, I think that's okay. You need to put that stamp on it. <laughs> okay, Gary. I'm Dr. Sonia Cherry Paul, and I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> hey, sounds better. Oh, gosh. Oh, so you are Sonia. like, you're, you, you are true, truly like family. They're like, no, you, you got to put the bling on that. You do. Everyone else does. You need to do, you, you earn that. You earn that. And I think I, I love like showing off friends that have done the work and are in the mud, like doing all that stuff. I think it's so important. I really think it's so important. And I, I don't know what your journey is on that, but I hope that you feel more comfortable as like years go on that, like you own that because again, it's yours yeah. now. Right? People can't take that away from you. It's, it's, it is true. And it's so true when you're with black and brown folks. Um, they want that doctor in front of your name. They, they always refer to me in that way. And I keep saying, I'll say to folks, it's okay to just say Sonia. And they're like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and I, I get it. It means something to us in a way that I think is different to white folks. Yeah. I work with people who have doctorates, um, and they don't use that in their title. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. but what I don't think they always understand is that it is important for Black folks to use that title in lots of different ways and for other Black folks to see um, us mm -hmm. use that title. So I do get I agree. it. It's important. I agree. Yeah, I have, a, I have my first Black principal this year in an, in an international school, which is like very um, rare. And she's female on top of that, which is like mm -hmm. so special to me um, for so many reasons. And she's a doctor as well. So I, in the same way with her, like, I think you need to stamp it. <laughs> it's just great. <laughs> Sonia, can you, I, I'm so, I have so many questions for you. We talked a little bit about it early, but I want to just um, check in. I want to just see how things are going, all things considerate. Um, just, yeah, can you give us a brief rundown of how how life has been just so far so life has been um you know chaotic uh it's been exhausting it's been um frustrating and 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 even though i'm using all of those world words i can say that you know even talking with you today i'm a, among all of the things that are happening i am i am blessed right um but this pandemic has certainly touched my family in ways that um have been incredibly challenging from you know my dad um getting covid last year right at the start of the pandemic and um it took him months and months and months to to battle it and i'm very um very great grateful that he survived this um, only for us to lose, you know, my uncle, his youngest brother last month. Um, and, you know, my father is the patriarch of the family and he's 
trying to understand how he could survive it, but his little brother couldn't be saved. There's no rhyme or reason that makes sense. And the loss is, um, it's challenging when we can't gather, right? Black people like to come together, um, whether it's in times of celebration um, or times of grief. And how do you grieve when you can't gather? It's very, it's very challenging. Um, you know, I have an aunt that's ill right now and is in the hospital. And so um, it's tough. I've always been someone who spends a lot of time with my, my elders. I always have, even as a young person. Um, and so I am, I'm worried. Mm-hmm. I'm worried. I'm hoping that we are at the end of this pandemic and I'm hoping that the rest of my family can stay safe. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's everything going on in the world that, you know, of course, of course. makes it yeah. challenging. Yeah, it does. And I mentioned it before, Sonia, but I wanted to, again, let you know that I, I definitely see you and I'm thinking about you um, as someone who has built somewhat of a relationship with you just based online and just like seeing you at NCTE. Um, yeah, I am thinking about you and hoping things go well. Um, and I want to, again, you, remind you that it's okay that we are angry and frustrated and upset and cry and all yes. those things because those things are normal, right? Those yes. things are normal. Um, yes. Sonia, can you, we're going to, let's go, we're going to go back just a little bit because I'm so curious about your past um, mm-hmm. and your future, which is like, from what I see and what I hear, um, it just continues to like blow my mind in regards to the work that you're doing and getting into. Um, so how did you get into education? Like, how did that happen for you? Um, well, it's interesting, Gary. It's a story that I don't think a lot of people know about, but I actually started in the music industry. What? Um, yes, I graduated with a degree in music business and I worked at Polygram Records and I worked for an off-Broadway production company and I really thought my life was going to be in in the music industry and and then um, I I was you know my husband and I got married we were we were young and next thing you knew we were starting a family and that was not planned. That was a, a, a beautiful <laughs> blessing and a surprise. And things had to change. You know, you can't be out in those streets at you know eleven o'clock at night with a with a baby. Um, so I left that part of my career um, and had a baby and had to figure out what is it that I want to do. You know, what 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 do I want to be in 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 the world. Um, and I was just madly in love with this, with this baby. I mean, I just thought everything she did was magical. And I thought about the words of my, my grandfather. He always told me that I was going to be a teacher. He would tell wow. everybody, my parents, wow. he told me, Sonia's going to be a teacher. So I thought, let me go back to school. Let me go to school and, and try this on. And that's really how that worked, Gary. I went back got my first master's degree in education, fell in love with teaching. Um, and uh-huh. yeah, so that is yeah, that's we, how that all started. What? Black people are so versatile. <laughs> yes. It is unbelievable. Yes. Like that is 
I had no idea, obviously, um, but I love that video. So, you know, I think there is a huge connection between music and education, of course, but mm -hmm. I'd love that you went from like wanting to be in that industry to education. Um, uh, yeah. I guess my next question is like, what did your first taste of education look like in regards to like the classroom? Um, so it's interesting. I went to, um, a, in the CUNY system here in, in New York, um, there's a wonderful college, Queens College, and I lived, lived in the borough of Queens, so it was, it was easy for me to get there. Um, but their education program was just really wonderful, and they had opportunities for student teaching, which often is just a few weeks. Um, but at Queens College, there was an opportunity to, to take part in an internship where you were with a classroom for an entire year. And so I said, let me, let me do that because I want to be there from start to finish. So I worked with um, a teacher in a school called the Louis Armstrong School. And it was a beautiful school with children from all walks of life. I mean, just the richness of, of racial and cultural diversity. It was an explosion of that. Um, and so it was, it was just wonderful and to be with the kids and it was challenging because there were 31 children in a classroom, um, not made for 31 children, but, of course. <laughs> um, right. But what, what stood out to me, Gary, were, um, the parents, the caregivers mm. whose dreams for their children were just so big and beautiful and the, just the appreciation they had for their teachers. You know, they're showing up uh, for parent-teacher conferences with trays of food, you know, just made wow. with love. Um, and just so happy to see their children's work and to see their children flourish and, and wanting to support um, anything that, you know, they could support. And these are parents who are working two, two and three jobs and, um, so I just think that was my first experience in, in, a, in a classroom and it was really profound and beautiful. And I ended up going uh, into a suburban area after that. And it was very different, Gary. It was very different. <laughs> um, very different indeed. Mm -hmm. Let's just, do you wanna just leave it at that? <laughs> leave it at that for right now um we can pick it back up again if you'd like <laughs> and so what did your what did your own I always ask this question and I think I don't know if my listeners like listening to it but I always have an interest in like what did your personal experience being a student um look like for you as well yeah um so I think my my elementary school years were pretty tough. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and um, I grew up in the projects. And I went to my neighborhood school, which was pretty much black and brown, brown folks. And I grew up during a time when, um, you know, the Latinx 
community in my neighborhood and in the school, they were actively told not to teach their children to speak Spanish, actually to to stop speaking Spanish to their children. Um, so you could see the erasure happening um, in my community. I, and I felt it and I saw it. I heard my, my, my mom who was very involved in the PTSA, um, talking about it with other parents, um, neighbors, you know, and, you know, just trying to fight to preserve one's humanity, you know? Um, so I, I remember that being around me. And I also, you know, was uh, a strong reader. And so it was also during the time when teachers didn't really know what to do with kids reading on a wide variety of levels. And so the solution in, in, in my, my, um, my elementary school was either to skip, skip me, skip grades, and my mom felt very, very strongly that she did not want that to happen. She wanted me to stay in my grade and she wanted my teachers to teach me. Um, so then the, the solution was during reading time, I was sent into a room um, by myself <clears throat> to read books on my own because the work that was happening in the classroom was not challenging and I didn't, you know, I was beyond what they were teaching. So I just spent a lot of time in a room by myself with a book. Um, that was tough. I can only yeah. imagine. And as a yeah. kid, naturally, I think we often need something. And we need someone, um, like specifically our age, to to hang out oh, with, yeah. whether that's one person or not. Like we, we that is, like by nature that's just kind of what what happens so mm -hmm. i can only imagine that feeling of just like yeah. loneliness yes it was profound loneliness and school is supposed to be social and so it's funny i work with teachers today and you know i do a lot of work around reading workshop and you know book clubs and it's almost as if for some teachers when they perceive children experiencing joy there's laughter. It's like, oh my gosh, I need to stop that. They're not working. Or I'm talking like, no. too. Or talking right? too they're, much. <laughs> right. I'm like, no, they're talking to right. Like they're children. <laughs> it's supposed to be joyful. You, yeah. you, you want to. They just want to sometimes beat the joy out of it. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was very lonely. Um, you're supposed to be in in conversation and dialogue and community with one another, um, in schools. Mm -hmm. So, so that was elementary school. Things were um, a bit better in um, in middle school, where well, I, I think had that's good, right? Yeah, things were a bit better in middle yeah. school. I had a black principal, um, and she was just awesome. And she greeted us at the door every day and told us, "You're brilliant." You know, we expect so much of you we're here like it was just really so affirming yeah mm -hmm. that's so funny because my i had i luckily had um my end of elementary i had a black female principal and then all of middle school i had a black male um principal mm. and he did the exact same thing he came he was like ex like military army but he spent most of his life in education um, and every, he was my basketball coach and he, every single day he'd be at that door and he would like joke with us and make sure there's all this like 
all of this like encouragement to like continue on and mm -hmm. you can do it and just like all of these things that I had never heard before so like I remember back then like we would always like make fun or joke or like almost like we wouldn't know what to do or what to say as he was saying it but like thinking back and I've done some reflection on it like yes he was just reassuring us yep. that we were brilliant just similar yep. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, every day, every day, I remember in middle school, we we did the Pledge of Allegiance, but we also mm -hmm. sang the Black National Anthem. Oh. And everybody knew it, whether you were Black or not, everybody knew it because we sang it every day. And, you know, it was funny during assemblies, we'd, we'd, we'd go into the second and third verse and it was almost like a challenge to see, ooh, who's got that second verse? Who, who's got those lines, you know? <laughs> but it was, it filled us up with such pride, you know? Mm. Um, and I just think about, you know, black and brown kids in schools today. Imagine if, if that's how their days start. Like, you know, we're gonna, mm -hmm. we're gonna sing the black national anthem. Mm -hmm. imagine if that was the start of everyone's day yeah it'd um, be different it'd be different mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow yeah. wow and and Sonia I want to move a little bit forward to yeah. today and some of the work that you do because one of the reasons why I love I love that I've like met you and I would consider you a friend uh, but on top yeah. of that I love following you online because the work that you do I think is so valuable um, just to like the world in general. So I want to lean into a little bit of the work that you do now with educators and if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I I wear a lot of different hats. Um, a few. So <laughs> just, a, just a few. Um, so I am the Director of Diversity and Equity at the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project. And what I do there is try to help all of us get better at advancing the work of equity and anti-racism um, in the staff development that we do, in the curriculum that we write. Um, there is a huge uh, amount of my energy and time spent on getting us to be better at that. Um, I also work inside of schools with administrators and teachers to, to talk about advancing the work of, of anti-racism and equity. And that, um, that basically is a lot of work around getting um, teachers, mainly white teachers, to reckon with um, their own biases, um, to interrogate them, to admit to them, right? Um, so that we can you know, disrupt inequitable mm -hmm. practices that are impacting kids. Um, so I do a lot of that work. I, I model um, what that can look like in reading workshop and in writing workshop in particular. So that's, that's a lot of the work that I do with teachers. Sometimes I, I work with parents. I'll be asked to uh, do a night with parents around helping them acquire racial literacy, helping their children acquire racial literacy and how they can you know, be doing that work at home, parents and caregivers, um, and also working with their teachers around this work. Um, as you know, I co-founded the Institute for Racial Equity and Literacy with Trisha Abarvia. And um, 
and we we work with educators around the the country um, in the summer to to really talk about structural and systemic racism in education and and how to how to show up differently in our in our classrooms. Um, I am also the host of the Black Creator series, and that's been really exciting this year. And uh, this is a collaboration with the Teachers College Reading Writing Project and Candlewick um, Press um, and uh, publishers. And I get to talk with amazing authors and illustrators about their work. And really it is just, for me, it's just, my chance to just shine a whole bunch of love on them and and what they're doing and try to make their work visible for teachers and to think about you know how you have to have this in your classroom and what could you be doing with this work in addition to kids just simply reading it and enjoying it here's also what could be happening um and and so i i'm a curriculum writer i am a um a professional developer. I, I do a, I do a bunch of different things, Gary. Sometimes it's it, hard did to. It, did it, isn't there <laughs> something in there that you didn't mention about writing? Aren't you writing something as yes. well? You didn't say yes. About that. <laughs> <laughs> so I have adapted the upcoming Stamped for Kids, which is a continuation of um, Dr. Ibram Kendi and Jason Reynolds' work, and I'm just so so deeply, deeply humbled and honored to have been asked to usher this next iteration of Stamped into the world. Um, I'm excited. I am hopeful. And um, I think this is just some of the most important work that's been happening over the past couple of years, which is to get um, to get this work into the hands of children. Um, because what it means, Gary, is we don't have to wait anymore. We don't have to wait for teachers to get comfortable. <laughs> we don't have to wait anymore because kids now can access this information and read and learn and unlearn. Um, it would be wonderful if this is happening in classrooms. We, I really hope that uh, classrooms will take this up um, like nobody's business because this is the work we have to do if we really do want to stamp out um, racism. We have to get our young kids to understand this. Yeah. I'm so, so excited for you. I'm so excited. You know what? And I love, I love Dr. Kendi. I love Jason, of course. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited that you're you're writing this adaptation. Um, my other question is, have you thought about just writing something else in general in regards to uh, a, like it could be nonfiction, YA, is it maybe, yeah, you're, sh you're shaking your head, so I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> no, well, you know, I've been asked that question and I've been thinking about it and I'm still thinking about it. I don't mm -hmm. have any definitive uh, answers to share. Um, but um, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of my work has been to write materials for teachers, to write books for teachers and educators, um, to help them with their work in the classroom. And so, working on Stamped for Kids, you know, opens a door to uh, a bunch of new, you know, and different possibilities um, mm -hmm. as a writer. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I'm thinking about yeah. it. I'm thinking mm -hmm. about it very deeply. 
I'm yeah. sorry, and, I'm, and I'm, I ask that because for someone who, again, enjoys the work that you do, I think that that voice um, is, is so needed. And at the same time, I know that you would do a phenomenal job, whether it's a picture book, whether it's YA, whether it's a middle grade, whether it's an adult, like, I just know that whatever, and you, you put so much care in absolutely everything that you do. So I just selfishly, <laughs> very selfishly, <laughs> I know that it would be great. And I am excited for whenever that day, whenever that day comes at the Thank same you, time, Gary. I know you're super busy. So yes, whenever you feel you're ready, of course. <laughs> yes, 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 for sure. Thank you. And you, you have the exciting news. <laughs> This is no, I this mean, is, no, you can't do that. <laughs> yes, I can. Gary, that was huge. I was literally screaming when I, I when I heard the news you. about about your upcoming book. When can we expect thank that? You. It's supposed to be in 2023. Um, okay. Contracts for two books. So I do have another one that I'm working on. Um, I'm just I'm excited. I'm I'm yeah. excited. I'm nervous of the like unknown. Like I've never been out the classroom has been everything that I know for like the last eight years. Um, and I think the good thing about being an author, which is still like weird to say, but I'm still going to be around kids, hopefully. Right. Um, yeah. Helping them find books, talking about my books, recommending books. Um, and I could use mm-hmm. a lot of the practices that I know from teaching mm-hmm. with them, whether it's through workshops or presentations or whatever it is. So, Though it will be very different, I'm just excited for the unknown um, Yeah, and nervous and, for the unknown. And you're probably not going to appreciate me turning this interview around, but like, did you, <laughs> and I'll talk about myself, but did you grow up thinking that one day you'd be a writer? You know, and I always- I can tell you I did not. I, I didn't. I always loved to draw, actually. Mm. So I went through elementary, middle school, high school, wanting to draw my entire life. With that, I played sports. So I ended up deciding ultimately that I'd go to college to play basketball instead mm-hmm. of going to art school. And I had my portfolio done. I had the school I wanted to go to. Um, and ultimately, I was like, I really want to play basketball. So I didn't do art for a while. And then over the years, there's, there was just like people and little signs that were telling me like, you need to draw, you need to draw, you need to write, you need mm. to draw. So I would do bits and pieces of it, like just to like kind of, like almost like just like bring me back to like what I've always loved. And then oddly enough, COVID gave me the time to really sit with some of the work that I had created over the years. And I just sent it out and it, it just happened that someone out there was like, this is really good work. We really want you to work with us. And from there, I'm just kind of like, looking at Narin and I'm like this is crazy like this is oh it's life-changing to be honest yeah. to now consider myself to be like an author and to 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 know that books are going to be published with my name on them it's just crazy to think about <laughs> it's amazing and see this is one of the many 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 reasons why the own voices movement is so powerful and needed because if someone had told me as a young person that I would grow up and be a writer, I would have laughed at them. Um, I didn't Same. have a lot of access to books 
that were about characters like me, written by authors who looked like me. Um, and when that happens to children, I, I try to let educators know that not only are you um, erasing kids from the landscape, but you're also letting them know who can be a writer and who can't. 100%. Right? If all the books that black and brown children read are written by white people um, and are about white people, then of course you don't see yourself as becoming a writer. How could that mm -hmm. even be possible? That's not who writers are. Um, so I just think it's so important that you're doing this. It's so important that we are contributing to, um, you know, the own voices movement um, mm -hmm. through children's books because we need our kids to see that this is possible for you. Agreed. Absolutely. I do agree. I do agree. And I do think about just my, I, 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 I've told everybody in the publishing houses that I've talked to, my agent that I talked to, like the reason why I think this is so important is because like there is a community back home in Canada in this very small province that no one knows about. And there are black kids there that, need people like me to show them that like literacy is extremely important and whatever I have to do, <laughs> whether that's through the books that I right. try to create, whether it's me spending more time home and doing workshops or whatever it is, I, I truly believe that it will somehow impact one, two, three, however amount of kids to, to at least mm -hmm. think about literacy a little bit differently. Yep. Um, than what they are right now so but thank you yeah, yeah. thank you for that thank you you're it's too exciting. kind you're too kind and I don't want again I could talk to you forever but I just have a few more questions for you sure. and I love asking like recommendations because I know you're always with the amount of time that you I guess I want to say don't have because you're always busy um, <laughs> could you give me maybe a few recommendations in regards to books that you've read in the past few years or so um, or wanting to read um, and would these be uh, books for children or just any you know, books it, in general? Any, I think any books in general. I am all for picture books are for everybody. Um, I'm all, this could be an educational book. It could be, you're a very versatile, my friend. So it could be anything. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking around my, my office right now because I, you can't see on the left, you can see behind me, but on my left and my right, I am literally surrounded um, by books. So like now I have to be choosy and think about um, the ones I want to talk about. Um, I love I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. Um, if folks haven't read that, I mean, honestly, that just, um, it just speaks so much to me. Um, so her work is incredible. And I want to talk about an eloquent, eloquent rage by Brittany Cooper. Oh my gosh. I felt like I, it felt like a mirror for me reading, reading her work. Um, some children's books I have on my table right now, A Good Kind of Trouble by Lisa Moore Ramey, which is um, just a beautiful, beautiful, powerful book that, um, can also, can also help, help kids, kids learn, learn a little, a little bit, bit about the Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter, Matter movement. movement. Um, Felix Ever After. after. Um, such, such incredible, incredible writing, writing that um, Kaysen Callender is doing. So, so I, do I do think, think that that's, that's a person, person that should, that should be, be on everyone's, everyone's, um, everyone's, everyone's list. list. 
Um, and do you, do you find, find, do you do you find, find that, that you have, you have time, time for reading? reading? Do you, do you, I, don't, I don't have a lot of time, time for reading, reading but when, when I do, I, I, like, I, like, I like to take advantage, advantage of it. So recently, recently I found, found myself with a, a day with, with several, several hours to myself and I read The Secret Life of Church Ladies and I'm blanking out on all of I devoured it. I devoured it. Are you kidding me? I listened to... Uh, Roxane Gay and Kay say the other day and they said both of them were like the question from the um someone asked the question like what are you reading and they talked about that book and they like they both said it and then they like stopped and they were like <laughs> I know I I just I just don't even have the words to talk about it yet but I devoured it Wow. devoured it um wow. so it is it is hard to find time to just read for my own pleasure I find myself often reading you know for for work reading to research uh to research right right mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so um it just feels like the most delicious thing ever to yeah to pick up a book and, and read for myself that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And Donya, my last question is just about you and your relationship with your daughter. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, raising a, a, a daughter has been just the absolute joy of, of my life. Um, she's incredible in her own right. Um, people like to credit me for the, for the young woman that she is. And I keep telling folks, I was not that amazing <laughs> when, she, when I was her age. She just, she's a beautiful, beautiful blessing and a gift. And, you know, I, my message to her has always been, what makes you happy? Mm. What makes you happy? What makes your heart sing? And those are the things that you should be doing. Um, because that is what matters most, more than anything. I think this is universal in a sense, right? As a, as a parent, you want to see your children happy. Mm -hmm. And when your children are happy, you feel like the world is, is, you know, sunshine and roses. And when your children are not happy, I mean, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to move forward. So mm -hmm. that's been incredibly important to me. I think that as, um, as a, as a, as a young black woman, um, it hasn't always been the message to them that their happiness matters. Um, mm -hmm. And I love my family for sure. And I can also think about how there were expectations for me um, simply because I was the girl in the family. Um, there were expectations about you know, what to do, how to do it, when to do it, um, who to be, who not to be. Um, and I just wanted to do something different with her. And this kid has always been um, strong-minded um, in her own reserved way. She's just loves to read. She loves to write. She's incredibly, um, she's incredibly brilliant. She is uh uh, an engineer she's a biomedical engineer and a software engineer and an MBA and she just um she's pursuing what makes her happy and that okay. is a joy to see and to, to watch her okay. succeed and 
be successful and to be sought after. It's like every mom's mm-hmm. dream, right? Of course. Um, of course. So she's my That's absolute pride. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Sonia Cherry Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you so much for hanging out today. I, again,